Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Tyler Young, who is the CISO for Big ID. We're going to be talking to Tyler about what his role is and how he helps both with the organizational security and also with the product development. We're probably going to touch a little bit on the, the VC space and how, what, how it, what it's looking like for cybersecurity startups and some other things. But before we get started, let's say hi to Tyler. Tyler, how are you today? Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure. And whereabouts are you located? I'm located in Chicago, suburbs of Chicago. Okay. So no, what they say, horse in the race for the, uh, the Super Bowl last night? No, actually, no, which it was just nice. It's kind of nice to just sit back. It's been nice, I guess, since the 1980s. So yeah, <laughs> so, unfortunately, it's been really, yeah, it's been a little too nice, huh? Yeah, I, I don't have the patience anymore to sit down and do anything for four hours, let alone watch a mix mishmash of football and commercials. But I did catch the fourth quarter because it was tied up. And I thought, okay, that's worth turning on and watching. And it was, yeah, hey, and then I, think half the, I think half the country is focused on spy operations and balloons and UFOs being shot down, right? Yes, right. Just anything that moves is getting shot these days. So <laughs> it's a dangerous time to be a hot air ballooner or, you know, any kind of hobbyist out there that, yeah. So, but hey, I, I, I'm sure we all sleep better at night knowing that um, our skies are safe. 100%. Hey, so um, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, Big ID? Yeah. So Big ID is a data security posture management platform. Um, uh, essentially giving you full visibility into all the data in your environment, regardless of the data source, we probably have a connector for it, connecting to those sources, identifying sensitive data or regulated data, or really any type of data that you want to classify. Um, and we do that through a series of machine learning algorithms um, on top of that basic things like regex and, and leveraging some type of cluster analysis. So multiple different ways. And the ultimate goal is to identify all those data risks associated with it. Um, and then being able to take action on it. Great. Reducing data, reducing the permissions, that kind of stuff. Sure. So in, in your role, because I mean, you, you obviously, you work for an organization that um, needs to protect its data. So, I mean, and then, then you're also, you're selling a product and service that, um, that does just that. Do you spend more time on the organizational specific objectives of, you know, minimizing your, uh, or your threat? I guess, uh, exposure to threats, or are you more focused on the, the, the product development? So I have a very unique role at Big AD. Um, so I get the privilege of being the CISO for the company and, and reducing our attack surface and building a security culture in the environment to, to, again, reduce the attack surface. But then I also have facets of my role where it's building trust in our customers. Well, so when you use Big ID, you should understand that when we look at your inform when we have access to your data and to the data connectors and things like that, that it's securely happening. Um, so building mm -hmm. that trust. And then another, another uh, facet of it is, is working with our product teams closely and helping align to what do CISOs want? What do security teams want to see in the product? And so it's like, I get to play um, multiple different hats, which, which is great. No, no two days are the same and it's always a new challenge. Well, what do CISOs want and what questions or what concerns do they have in relation to, you know, to using a platform like Big ID? I think, the, I think the goal is, and the key thing you mentioned is a platform. And so when you think of a platform, it's not just a point solution. 
if if you're going to so we, we see a, a reduction in tools across every single genre of security and most verticals in tech in general and so when you start reducing these the the, the number of point solutions you need a platform and that's kind of what big id can offer we can help you discover your data we can help you discover the risks associated with that data so like an alert layer on top of it and then there's the remediation capabilities on top of that and so i think with any with any security vendor you need to be able to provide a full end-to-end -end from discovery to remediation <clears throat> no longer is it just discover data or just be able to take action on data you have to be able to do the full thing and then that's with any security product Okay, so so customers they 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 don't want to mix and match. They want basically a one-stop shop. If I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, and, and I can't speak for every customer, right? Because every organization is different. There's no two organizations are like. There's a lot of similarities amongst verticals, whether they're heavily regulated or depending on their their attack surface. But but yeah, oftentimes it's you want the same place where you can identify the data. You also want to be able to action it. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's a pretty, that's pretty common amongst most of our customers. And when you say action, it you're talking about some type of you know policy in place that uh, that triggers an automated uh, response. Whether it's automated responses or leveraging things like our remediation app capability, where you can send um, an alert to a user in your environment to say, hey, you know, you have files that are shared externally. You need to close this down or change that access rule. Um, or it's the automated capability in our integrations we have with all the SOAR platform vendors to say, hey, you want to, um, you know, you have a large bucket of data and you need to delete it all, or you need to um, change the permission on it and close it down to just this one user. So large bulk kind of actions can be leveraged through SOAR. Okay, interesting. With the, um, with your customers, again, back to the concern thing. I mean, when you're there to kind of instill trust in Big ID and your platform, what are some of their biggest concerns though? So I think any any SaaS vendor, the, the biggest concern from the security perspective is two things. Are you accessing my data? And then where is that being stored? And then when you figure out where it's being stored, the next question is great, is it encrypted? And who has access to it? And so we get, the, we get a lot of these questions. Um, and so we've done things like built out security white papers to kind of explain the security, holistic security strategy of our program, which is leveraging things like defense in depth from the perimeter to the identities, to the endpoints, to the entire picture of it. Um, so that's that's kind of the way we, what we, way we look at it when we're trying to build trust and talking to our customers. Okay. And you also mentioned that, you know, you, in terms of the communicating with the product team, you try to act as a conduit to, you know, what CISOs are looking for these days. Um, and just a little background, a lot of the people I talk to who are, on the product side for cybersecurity related products and services, they do something a little bit different than most industries. When they're looking at product development, for example, typically they're not looking at what the competition's doing, they're, they're looking at what the bad actors are doing in the, in the context of security. Because if we understand what they're doing, then we know how to develop a product to defend against them. Now, in your situation, especially when you, pro, you, know, when you package in the whole, uh, what the data protection, but also, you know, the security side, but also the privacy and the governance side. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that you have to look in multiple different directions, not just at what the bad actors are doing. Uh, you have to look at the regulatory environment, uh, you know, the different re uh, ongoing requirements for security, for, for data protection. Also, probably you do look at the competition. But when you talk to the CISOs out there, this is probably the longest question I've ever asked, but when you talk to the CISOs out there, 
what yeah. what are they looking at to because oftentimes they'll have you know their idea in mind hey we need this and maybe that's what they need or maybe they don't even know that they might need something else because but they, they're not aware that it's available but what when you talk to CISOs, where are they getting their information that tells them what they need yeah so not the longest question i've ever been asked but close okay um, so, so, <laughs> thanks for so, your patience yeah it depends, right? And, and, and the reason I say it depends is because if, if you're talking to um, heavily regulated entities, obviously the, some of the things that they need to be able to do from like a checkbox compliance perspective is going to come from what that regulator says, where data mm -hmm. can be stored, whether it's a PCI environment, who can access the data, if it's like a, some type of heavily regulated arms environment. So there's, it, it really depends when you're talking to you know, a, a very diverse group of customers where, where their um, appetite for risk lies and how much of that is dictated by a government or a regulatory body. What I can say is that it's important to really dig at the problem they're trying to solve because every regulation has some type of risk that it's trying to reduce. So once you dig at this at under under the surface a bit, you can understand that okay, they're trying to reduce, um, you know, access from specific countries to their data or stale data. And and again, it's trying to reduce a risk. So you can kind of correlate those privacy or regulatory concerns back to the, the what the attackers are doing. Gotcha. Okay. So I mean, there 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 is. Um, an awareness or people are looking at, at, at both sides. They're looking at um, what the bad actors are doing, but also what the current regulatory environment is um, is asking for. Um, yeah, right. Like if, if you think about it, like um, some of some of the biggest risks with with data, especially in the cloud are I can click a button and, and add anybody to view that information. So I can right. share files externally. And in theory, without the right technology, it's very difficult to determine who's been accessing that data. And so you can leverage a platform like BigID and our access intelligence um, application to see who's been accessing all of your files and from where. So that layer is looking at the attacker perspective, but there's also a regulatory reason why that has to happen as well. Um, for example, you, if, if it's like a uh, healthcare, you can't just have anybody who's not supposed to be looking at that information other than the, the doctor or the patient accessing that file. And so you can kind of tie both the attacker, what data they would want and being able to secure it and then tie it back to the regulatory or privacy reason so it kind of goes hand in hand, I guess. Okay, and and how about in your in your specific situation, what where do you go and what do you use to keep you up to date and to to understand both again the the organizational needs but also the platform needs? Yeah, so being in a tech company, we're not heavily regulated per se. Mm -hmm. Our customers are obviously in, in a very diverse group of of verticals which are regulated and so we we have to both understand their regulatory reasons and, and things that they have going on and then understand things like some of the attack trends that are happening in the environment um and and then you have to go to policy that's being created that we need to adhere to and then um so for example if you have government customers things like FedRAMP and um some other different certifications so it really depends on on the on you know what who we're who we're dealing with and then what how we're kind of like shaping our security strategy. The other thing I would say is the CISO community and the security community as a whole is very tight knit. 
We mm -hmm. have a plethora of Slack channels, LinkedIn groups, um, text message, WhatsApp channels. I mean, it's so small um, that you're always hearing the next thing. And, and you're always trying to, you, you know, you hear something you, you think is interesting and then you want to replicate it because what they're trying to solve may be a different way of approaching a problem you've been trying to solve, but they've solved it easily. Here's a script on GitHub. You can just pull it down. And so it's, it's a really tight-knit community and we're always bouncing and sharing ideas. That's that's awesome. Hey, um, let's let's dig into a, a little bit into the platform itself, um, so I can get a, get a better understanding. I mean, there are it starts. You have the you know the discovery phase phase. Um, I think you call it the discovery foundation. You know, a lot of there's a lot of uh, data discovery tools out there. How do you differentiate? What are what are some of the must-haves? If I mean, if you were given advice to to one of your CISO customers or friends, what are the, in terms of the discovery phase? What are the must-haves? You need some type of machine learning or some type of algorithms to identify sensitive data. The days of leveraging like regex or just basic things like that that that's no longer um, like that should not that should not be table stakes anymore. And so I'd start with that. On top of that, I would say if you're a security buyer, you're going to want someone who can bubble up the security risks on top of the sensitive data that you've identified, including things like access. Um, so th those are probably like the key, the key elements. I, I'm sorry, but I, I didn't quite understand what you meant by I, did you say bubble up or double up the the security risk? Bubble up the security risk. Yeah. So so identifying data. And classifying it, leveraging machine learning is one thing, but then adding another layer of filtering or alerting on top of what you've just classified is is exactly what needs to be happening. So can you walk me through like a, a, a real scenario of what that looks like? Sure. Um, you connect to, here. here's a, a real life use case. Um, so you connect to um, Slack mm -hmm. and we all know how, Developers are moving quickly, building code, sharing secrets. And you scan your Slack repositories, leveraging a tool like Big ID, and you find a bunch of passwords for AWS. On the surface, those on the surface, they may not mean anything. But now leveraging another layer of alerting or data risk um, detection on top of that, you now know that those are passwords for AWS. Now they're critical. They should not be living in Slack. They should be living in a secret vault. And so now you need to take an action. And so you can leverage something like our remediation app to send that developer a notification, say, hey, we identified secrets in Slack. These need to be removed immediately. You're violating not only company policy, but you're increasing the risk to our business. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great example. And the way that that happens is is through some type of, of machine learning to detect a pattern to say, okay, you know, these are credit card numbers or these are passwords or, you know, you, you can identify the data that it's looking at. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Um, and then if we pop over to the uh, security suite, what's like the one or two things that Big ID can do that kind of, you know, differentiates you from the competition? Yeah. So again, I think it goes back to high fidelity alerting on okay. different data risks, identifying the user anomalies or the the um, anomalous activity that's happening to your data. For example, um, being able to, to identify all of the external domains that have access to your critical data. So you use big ID to label sensitive data, 
And now you leverage something like our access intelligence application and you identify four domains that are all external that you don't even know who they are. Maybe they're a third party that used to work with something that still has access to this critical data. And so being able to then leverage either a SOAR capability or the native capabilities in Big ID to then remove those people that have access is absolutely crucial. And so that's what, what we're really able to do. It's no longer just identifying these problems, leveraging things like regex, but it's using machine learning to have really high fidelity classification then taking that the next step further and having high fidelity alerting on top of that classification to identify the activity that's happening with those files and then being able to take that action. And how, how much flexibility do your customers have in terms of, you know, setting the, the level of automation or the types of responses, you know, based yeah. upon the, the type of activity, you know, I mean, with some organizations, mm -hmm. if I see, you know, the impossible travel login, uh, okay, we're definitely going to, you know, shut that down or, or prevent that from sure. happening. Some organizations might say, hey, let's, let's, you know, not treat it as such a severe kind of violation. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't imagine why they would do that, but I'm just making an example. So, so yeah, 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 how much flexibility is there? Full, you can be fully manual to the point where every single workflow is done just as an, uh, a JIRA ticket or an email to a user to take an action after they investigate to leveraging SOAR to the point where you're discovering data and automating the entire life cycle of it from data to classification to alerting to remediation where the user or the security team has zero visibility other than they wrote the alert and you're getting a, a log back to show what happened. And, uh, and fully automated, fully manual, depending on how you, what suits your business, right? Yeah. In in terms of anomalous behavior, um, I, I'm assuming that the the types of anomalous behavior continue to multiply as as we learn more. But you know, the classic case is, you know, the your your salesperson never accesses finance de uh, data, and then one day he does a huge data dump from the finance department. Obviously, that raises the flag, right? You know, so those are sure. those are some kind of classic examples. Do you have any more nuanced examples of of you know ways that this anom anomaly detection is getting even more, I guess, powerful? Sure. I think if if you let's let's talk about it from like a a bank perspective you have bankers that are supposed to only access a certain type of data. Um, and then you find somebody was added to another active directory group. And now they're getting gaining access to the entire finance information versus just the bank information they should have access to. So you'll see things like that. Um, it could be, I mean, going back to like the passwords and secrets, should those be shared in Slack? Do you have one user that's sharing more secrets than others? And, and so not saying that it's always negligent, but it allows you to then take what you've learned, automate the remediation, but then take an educational aspect and go back to those users and start working on that security culture. Excellent. And, and then in, in terms of my assumption that the types of anomalies that we're starting to kind of identify is that is that something that um, is actually happening? Where you know every every six months we get a couple a couple of new types of anomalous uh, actions that um, that we want to start adding to our, our our capability list. Yeah, our security team coupled with our CTO's office at Big Idea are always looking at new detections and new alerting mechanisms. And so yeah, that's constantly happening. But allowing the um, you know no like I said no organization is like a one size fits all, and so. Because of that, it's important for the customer to be able to tune that information as well. And what makes sense for your environment may not make sense for 
next customer. Definitely makes that that makes sense. Hey, um, mentioned earlier that you, you're uh, you're you're pretty active in the VC space uh, in the context of cybersecurity startups. What um you know what has changed? Obviously, with the the, the macroeconomic factors have changed in the last uh, six months. But what are you seeing in terms of of that uh, the the impacts of that? And then also, what types of companies are you seeing come to come to market or seek search or seek funding? So so a couple of things. I, I think first, which is fascinating, you're not seeing a drop off in seed and early stage fundings for cybersecurity startups. So we're not seeing that retraction like we're seeing, like like you're seeing in other industries, which is which is fascinating. Okay, that's great news. Probably because the attackers aren't slowing down just because you know global recession or whatever you want to call the current macroeconomic situations. The attackers are still going at it, right? I think I, I think I read the other day that um, the cyber crime is like the third largest economy in the world behind like U.S. and China, which I thought was mind blowing. Um, and so that's not slowing down clearly. And as long as the attackers are going to continue to try to execute their objectives, we as the defenders um, need to continue to to be reliant and and resilient and, and trying to stop them from doing what they're doing. And the only way you can do that is making sure that you have all your security gaps covered or identified. And so you, to do that, you need security tooling. And um, so, so yeah, so that's 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 what I've noticed in the environment is that you're you're not seeing funding slowing down. I think at the later stages, you're seeing more scrutiny based versus what you saw in like 2020 and 2021, which was crazy evaluations and very little due diligence happening for funding. Right. And are you seeing uh, any trends in the types of companies that are one seeking funding and the and and the ones that are actually receiving funding funding so for example is it is it all cloud related security is it um you know endpoint detection with all the different iot you know yeah. devices i mean what are you seeing so the the one thing that i will say is the companies that are coming to market and being the most successful are the application security companies as you get to the root cause and the root problem that's happening. Cloud is fundamentally today um, templated or just code, which mm -hmm. then has a runtime as it goes through production or it goes through the CICD lifecycle and it becomes like a, a runtime thing. But the misconfigurations and the vulnerabilities are, are happening in, in the code. And so AppSec tools for scanning and early detection and scanning infrastructure as code um, and reducing vulnerabilities and dependencies in code are really becoming, you know, hot button issues and, and really um, hot companies. Excellent. And are do you see any? I mean, I, I would assume that most of what you're seeing is on the enterprise side, but do you see any uh, consumer security type uh, offerings coming come to uh, seek funding? There's a few on the um, we'll call it secure identity space. As uh, as the SaaS sprawl continues to be a thing, um, and, and that, that's basically just the, the continuous movement to SaaS and you can click a button and get an account to something and put data there. And so you're starting to see a lot of, I guess you can call them consumer identity providers that allow you to leverage things like a password vault or um, like a, I guess like a home-baked IDP or leverage your Okta to just securely enroll passwords. For your for your SaaS applications, and so those companies are really like the 
the consumer side of things. I think there's a there's a good amount of companies that are focusing on smart technology in, in cars. Mm-hmm. And I guess those are more consumer, although they, they're also selling to enterprise, right? They're selling to your Teslas, GMs, Fords. But it's really helping the end consumer. Excellent. And do you see the the process for uh, for VCs investing any different from uh, the enterprise and consumer side? For example, you know, I've heard that with 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 consumer startups, they typically want to see a bit more traction uh, versus with an enterprise solution. They they can go in and fund, you know, right from the beginning. Yeah, and even so, even with um, the enterprise side, they're not necessarily getting funding right from the beginning without some type of design partner, some type of validated idea from other CISOs or security practitioners. And then to move out of like seed funding, you're probably going to need to have five to 10 paying customers to really Mm -hmm. qualify for a good next round. Okay. And then on the consumer side, you're seeing something similar where you, you need to have a, a bit of traction or. Yeah. I think the consumer side becomes a little bit more difficult, right? Like you don't have design partners. It's very difficult to have design partners because you're kind you kind of, the, the, you know, the builders of the company or the founders of the companies are kind of the design partners. They've, they've, they're solving a problem that they have experienced in real life mm-hmm. of which you hope um, you can articulate that value or other people feel that same pain. It's much easier on the enterprise side because it's, you can validate that with, contracts, design partners, things like that. It's very hard to validate that on the consumer side. Unless you've got hundreds of thousands of subscribers or customers or something. Yeah. Yeah. Got you. Exactly. Cool. Well, I, I I noticed that you, uh, you have a newsletter on LinkedIn. Do you want to talk a little bit about that why you're doing it and what's it about? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So on LinkedIn, I have a newsletter called data security drop. Um, it's a monthly article talking about some type of data related security whether it's an event or some type of action you should be taking on your data or just some type of risk talking about, you know, the data. Um, I realized that, and the reason I kind of created it was being at a data security company, I realized the lack of awareness that's out there for security professionals. And then you under, and you start digging in deeper and, and you understand that every single cyber attack is looking for one thing, and that's the data that those companies possess, whether that's from from a nation state side and to Exfil data for for data mining and just for overall intelligence, or it's the cyber criminal side and they're trying to steal data for monetary gain and value. Everything goes back to data. And I think as a security community, we haven't done a good enough job like shining a light on the data risks that are that are associated with just daily life in most cases. So I wanted to, you know, give back to the community, uh, give back to the security community and really just, you know, share my thoughts. Again, maybe sometimes they're hot takes. I don't know. I don't think so. But, but again, they're, they're my thoughts, but I, but I think it's good that there's something out there, some type of resource for specifically data security risk. No, totally agree. In fact, for, for me, um, I mean, I think we, we all take in massive amounts of information. Uh, for me, writing things down, whether it's a blog post or an article for a magazine or whatever, really helps me kind of one, dig deeper on the topic, but then actually put some structure around my thoughts and in, in help mm-hmm. me kind of figure out what I'm what I'm thinking in a more clear, clear way. I took a course from um, from from Harvard, uh, Harvard X 
related to cybersecurity. I think it was called Managing Risk in the Information Age, something like that. Okay. And the course was like progressively built on, you know, each module built on the previous module. And the at the very end, we had to write, I think it was like a 10, 15 page paper that would, you know, how, how would you implement effective cyber policy or risk management policy for, you know, an enterprise and it was awesome because just writing all that down and putting structure on it, and especially that you know modular kind of approach where you keep adding onto it, it really helped me get my mind around, um, you know, a job like somebody like you would do. What you know, what a CISO does when they go in and they say, hey, okay, you know, we, we got to identify what our risks are, we got to you know figure out mm -hmm. what the business needs, and so on and so forth. And it's really easy to say all that stuff, but once you write it down, it's uh, it's a lot easier to kind of uh, you know put put some structure on it. So, totally get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, I'm cur curious then what what other resources do you read? And oh, actually, let, let's stay on the LinkedIn question for a second, um, because yeah. <laughs> if you're going to send out a newsletter and you have subscribers, obviously you need to protect their um, your subscriber information. So I, I'm assuming that LinkedIn just manages all that for you to make sure that you're compliant with probably every single um, you know regulatory body that uh, that could possibly be relevant. Yep. I rely on LinkedIn for that. And I yeah. think most people that are in like the creator mode on LinkedIn, I think that's the way that's what they're leveraging as well. Excellent. And then um, do you just simply invite people or people can find your newsletter and subscribe or how does that work? Yeah, look for the newsletter, data security drop and subscribe. Yeah, I actually don't believe I invited actually anybody. I think uh, I posted an article um, and then turned it into a um, like a blog series. And mm -hmm. just have gained followers just just by sharing with with contacts and people like you know like the post and then it gets shared to somebody else and somebody else kind of joins in people comment it's it's all good interaction. That's awesome, man. Um, and then back to my the question I was gonna gonna ask is in are there do you have any particular um, newsletters or associations that you know that's on your on your list every every day or every week that you check in with to to kind of keep abreast of what's going on in the industry? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, CISO communities that are pretty closed door um, and there's Slack communities that a lot of us share information on. That's probably my go-to every day. Um, so yeah, it's one, the, the best one is the CISO society and there's probably 500 CISOs and we all kind of share and talk back and forth. It's just about, you know, practical things we're working on, strategical things we're working on. Um, another, a couple other places I usually go are a lot of the different VCs have um, like community channels for other CISOs or the security leaders to kind of go through and just talk. It's really nice to um, to talk talk through problems and decompress with people that are also dealing with a lot of the same ongoing issues. Absolutely, sounds like a couple of great organizations. Hey, um, last question then: Any uh, events that you plan to be going to in industry events over the next uh, few months? Yeah, so obviously RSA and Black Hat are not Black Hat's not coming up, but you know in August. But RSA and Black Hat are the big the big two. Okay. And how do you manage your time in an event like that? Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you guys have a booth there or some type of presence there. Yeah. So a lot of, um, a lot of that is led by, so it depends. So um, if, if I'm speaking at the event, obviously that takes up a big chunk of time, which is good. Um, and then there's also the customer interactions, people coming by the booth and asking to talk to the CISO about some type of architectural problem or thing that they're discuss they want to discuss. Um, and then we have customers that want to talk about deal closures and things like that. 
And then we have prospective customers that we're talking about the product with. And so these the conferences, I mean, the agenda is almost filled before you get there. Going to something like RSA, it's, you know, it's a ton of peers and friends that I've been working with for a decade that I want to catch up with and just understand the challenges that they're having and the VCs are having dinners and they want to talk to you about some of the things that they're investing in and the problems that they're trying to solve. And so it's very multifaceted and it fills up already. Yeah. And you still have your day job with, you know, all the emails that are coming in and so on and so forth. Right. So <laughs> exactly. A, yeah. Well, hey, Tyler, um, I, I enjoy this conversation and, uh, you know, would, would like to wish you and the rest of the team at Big ID an amazing 2023. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.